passage together. If you will, please stand. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 17 of John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Many years ago, uh, I worked uh, in tech support for a summer. And uh, one particular case stands out to me that I remember. Uh, I was in the help desk, and and this gentleman came in uh, to the help desk, and he said, I'm having trouble with my computer. It it just shut down, uh, and it won't it won't start up. And the first question I asked did you did you check to make sure it was plugged in? He said, Oh yeah, it's it's plugged in. It won't it just won't start. I think it's it might be a battery issue. So, okay, well, normally if it's plugged in, even with bad batteries, it should still work. So I said, Okay, well, let's go check it out. So I grabbed uh, a new battery that I knew was charged up, and I walked over. Uh, to his desk, and I look at the, the laptop, and I see it looks like it's plugged into the laptop. I look at the wall. The, the cord is plugged into the wall, and so uh, I try to power it on. won't power it on. I uh, took out the, uh, what was maybe the bad battery and tried to power it on. Still wouldn't power on. So I, okay. so I grab my new battery, pop the new battery into the laptop, and it powers up. I said, okay, well, we're getting somewhere. 
And then once it fully powered up, I look at the little icon down. You know, it shows you if it's connected to power or not. And it said it was running fully on batteries. I'm like, oh, let me look back at the cord. And I don't know if you've used like a laptop cable, right? You, you can check the wall and you can check the cord that's plugged into the laptop, but there's another connection in between. And it was not plugged in. I said, I think I found the problem. <laughs> the cord is not connected together. He's like, and, he, and at that point, he's like feeling sort of like, like, oh, I should have caught that. I should have caught that. It's, it's interesting, and, and such were the days of tech support, right? I mean, we, we try all these troubleshooting methods to try to find uh, the problem, and sometimes it's as simple as not being plugged in. And I wonder if we do that with our lives, right? Our lives are not working the way they ought to work. And so we troubleshoot. We, we ask ourselves, do I have the right job? Like, do I have the right house? Do I have the right diet? Do I have the right spouse even? And, we, and, and sometimes it's not just what I have, but, but am I doing, am I working hard enough? Am I a good enough father? Am I a, a good enough husband or wife? Am I a good enough performer at my work? We, we try to diagnose what the problem is with our lives, and sometimes we forget to ask the question, are we, are we plugged in? And that's what this passage is about. It's, about. it's about staying connected to the source, the power source, not electricity, that's not what I'm talking about, the power source of life, the creator of life. Are we connected? And so the message this morning is staying connected to Christ for a life of fruitfulness and joy. And that's what this metaphor talks about. When we talk about the vine, we talk about the branches. It's this picture, are we connected? Are we staying connected to the source of life? We can ask ourselves all sorts of questions about what's going wrong with our lives, and we can get into the weeds, and we can try this or that, but if we are fundamentally unplugged, nothing will work the way that we want it to work. And so that's what I aim to talk about this morning. What does it look like to stay connected to Christ? And, and what is the result of staying connected to Christ? And so we're going to look at the first uh, three verses and talk about what does it mean to be connected to Christ. Verse 1 through 3. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, uh, you might think that this is a passage about fruitfulness, and and it is. It is about fruitfulness. It is about understanding what does it look like to have a fruitful life. But the first command is not be fruitful. The first command command that that Jesus gives is not, hey, you should bear fruit. It actually comes in verse 4. Verse 4, the first command is, abide in me and I in you. That's the primary thrust of this passage. The, The thing that we should take away from this is not, I should try to bear more fruit, is I should abide in Christ. Now, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Abide is not a word that maybe we use a lot. Um, Some other synonyms, remain in Christ. 
or from the title of what I'm calling the stay in Christ. Now, as part of that abide in Christ, there's a a reciprocal um, component to that, which is uh, Christ in us. He says, abide in me and I in you. And so abiding in Christ is also having Christ abide in us. It's having Christ remain in us. It's having Christ stay in us. Now, now what does it mean to have Christ in us? So verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you. And then we get a parallel verse in verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in In other words, he's, he's drawing a parallel between what it means to have Christ abide in us. He's saying what it means is my words are abiding in you. My words are in you. And this, is, this is not rocket science. This is Christianity 101. And it's important. It's foundational. It's necessary. We can't get away from it. It's not icing on the cake. The the question is very basic. Do we have Christ's words in us? How do we have Christ's words in us? It's this. These are his words. To us. He's given us his words. That we are not in the dark about what God has said. We are not in the dark about what God has done. We are not in the dark about who God says we are and who God says he is. He has revealed his words to us. And we can trust his words because he's given us his Holy Spirit who's brought to remembrance the things that Jesus taught us. If you uh, remember from the previous passage that Pastor Bob uh, went through in verse Uh, 26 of chapter 14, Jesus says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things all that I've said to you. Um, If you can think about it, if you you know the history um, from the time when Jesus died to the first written account of the gospel, there were 20 years that, that spanned. I don't know about you, but I have trouble recounting in detail what I did yesterday. I, can't, I couldn't write to you a detailed account of what I did 20 years ago, and yet they are doing that. How? Because God has given us his Holy Spirit, and it says he will bring to remembrance all the things that I've said. And so 20 years later, they're able to recount what Jesus said in very clear detail because they have the power of the Holy Spirit with them bringing to remembrance those things. This is the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. This is what gives us the ability to trust that this is God's Word because it's the Holy Spirit who inspires it. And so it's very important that if we believe that, are we in it? Are we reading it? Are we listening to it? Are we memorizing it? Are we meditating upon his word? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have eaten just once this past week? Raise your hand. Some people. Eaten just once. 
the past seven days. How many of you eaten just once this week? Not typically, right? But, but sometimes isn't that how we as Christians, those who believe we treat God's word that way, we come to church one Sunday a week, we receive the word, and we think we're good for the week. That's not how food works. That's not how exercise works. That's not how a lot of things in the world work in terms of disciplines, but sometimes that's the way we treat God's word. And God is, the picture that God gives us when we look at this vine and we look at the branches, like it's a pretty clear illustration. There's no better metaphor than what Jesus gives us of what it looks like to stay connected. It is to remain in the vine. It's to remain in Jesus. And just like a branch that's disconnected from the vine withers and dies because it does not have the life-giving sap flowing through. And to the extent that we do not have the life-giving words of Jesus flowing through us, we will wither and we will die. And that's the point of what he's trying to communicate. You need to stay in me, and staying in me is remaining in his words, having his words run through us. Now, that doesn't mean that's simply just getting out your Bible and just running your eyes through the letters of the page. What it means is actually with uh, understanding, like you can hear God's word. Like the, the people in his day didn't always have something to read. Uh, oftentimes, the word was communicated orally. And in this day and age, we have apps and technology. We can listen to God's word. We can remember God's word and repeat it in our own heads. Like all of this is a form of uh, staying in Christ. Because life happens. We get in situations where, where things don't go the way we expect, or we get stressed, or we don't know what to do. And, and what God is saying, what Jesus is saying is, my word is always relevant in your life. His word is always relevant in our lives. If we would remember his word, Stephanie and I have, have seen some of that relevance over the past four weeks. We're thinking, you know what? Um, being parents is very different from, from not being parents. Amen? And, and we're thinking, we, do, we just don't have the freedom to do stuff like we used to. We're, we're, we're sort of, in, in a sense, handcuffed. And I know it sounds bad to say that. Everyone says, oh, it's the joy of having a child. But there's, there's, a, there's the not joy of not having the freedom. And, and I remember we were talking about this uh, just maybe last night. And, and I said, you know what? We are not our own. We were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. In other words, even before we had Chloe, we were not our own. And we're not our own now. We belong to Jesus. Our lives belong to Jesus. And he purposes our lives for his glory, for his fame. And we get joy. We get, we get good stuff in that, but we have to see it through the lens that he gives us. And we only get that if we remember his word. And, and so that was God's word applied to a very real circumstance in our lives. And, and that's what I want to encourage us, that we have this life-giving sap in the form of the words of Jesus that we can go to again and again and again. And we need it every day, as often as we eat, as often as we breathe, is as much as we need the word of God. 
Like, I'm not living on a spiritual high from 20 years ago any more than I'm living on last month's steak. I'm not. We need it every day. The word of God is what gives us life and enables us to bear fruit. And that's the the fruitfulness, which this passage is about fruitfulness, but fruitfulness is a consequence. It's a result of the action, which is to remain or abide in Jesus. So what does this fruitfulness look like? That's what I want to look at next. What does this fruitfulness look like? Um, I read verses 9 through 17 at the start. I'm going to read verses 12 through 13. Again. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So earlier in verse 9, actually, he says, abide in my love, which is like a second command. So it says, abide in me. Now he says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that that your joy may be full. And then he says in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's bringing uh, this to a point. He's, he's trying to say that the, the, the fruit that I want you to have is evidenced in loving like Jesus loved. And in fact, in, in chapter 13, Jesus says, this is a new commandment that I'm giving you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so they've heard the, the old commandment was love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now Jesus is, is refining that, adding to it by saying, this is something new. And it's new because Jesus is about to do something that's new. And, and, and what he's about to do is make clear, or it's at least alluded to by the next verse in verse uh, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. But verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to lay down my life for you, whom I am calling my friends. And, and I, just, I just want you to pause on that statement. Jesus is calling us friends. Jesus is God. Jesus is our king. He is Lord of lords. He is creator of all the heavens and the earth. And we relate to him in that way. But we also relate to Jesus as friend. And and that's an important dynamic in which to understand our relationship with God. That we we go to God as Father, we go to God as Creator, as Almighty, as Ruler, as Sovereign over all the world, but we also go to Him as our friend. And so the ways in which, if you can imagine your, your, your richest relationships here on earth, what your friendships look like, it's not just you always asking from your friends, right? And sometimes that's how we treat God, that, oh, it's just I need something, so I'm going to ask from God. And that's good. We don't want to say don't do that. But also, what do you do with your friends? Sometimes you say, you know what, I'm just so excited about this thing I just got to try. I'm so excited about this 
food, this new restaurant. Um, uh, would, you, would you pray for me about this thing? Like you share life in such a way that you share what's important to you. And we can do that with God. And, and vice versa, God said, Jesus says, um, I'm calling you friends because I'm letting you in on what I'm doing. I'm telling you what the Father's doing. I'm telling you the, the, the great work that I'm implementing in this world. I'm letting you in on this. You're not just a slave or a servant who doesn't know what the master is doing, but you are a friend, and I'm letting you in on this whole plan. And not only am I telling you about this plan, I'm inviting you to participate in it. And that's the God that we worship. Jesus calls us friends, and, and he says that the highest form of love is that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus does. It's a sacrificial love that he loves us with in our inability to produce fruit, in in our lives that are messed up and broken, that Jesus says, I'm not going to leave your lives messed up and broken, but I'm going to come and I'm going to die and I'm going to lay down my lives for you that you can have a restored and whole life. And this is a love that's beautiful. This is a love that produces joy. In verse 11, he says, "Um, I want you to have joy. The joy that's, that I have, I want to be in you uh, to the fullest. And, and some of us, we think God is like this cosmic killjoy. Like he just doesn't want us to do the things that we really want to do. Like, like God is, wants us to keep us like in the corner all like perfectly obedient and not, like not have any fun. And that's not the picture of God that we get. The picture of God we get is one who wants us to be full of joy. And when we understand the love that he has for us, we begin to realize and experience what that joy looks like. It's a picture of sacrificial love. Um, Stephanie and I, on Friday night, um, just this past Friday, we went out to the, the Cheesecake Factory. Um, which I don't recommend you do on a Friday night. Uh, it is, it's crazy, uh, busy, uh, and crowded. Um, but we just had to get out of the house, and we had a gift card, so we went. And so we come up to the Cheesecake Factory, and sure enough, there's like uh, uh, just people uh, just all over the entryway, and you couldn't hardly get in. And we, we, we did get in, and we put our names in. And thankfully, the, the, the wait was, wasn't over an hour, something like 35 minutes. We're okay, well, that's doable. So we started uh, waiting, and, and not too long after that, a, a pastor friend that I know comes in with his wife, and, and he actually noticed me first. I said, like, hey, how's it going? And so we start chatting a little bit, and, and we were just telling them a little bit about how hard uh, being uh, parents of a newborn is. Like, we're sleep-deprived, and uh, we're sometimes uh, borderline insane, and, and they were empathizing with us and, and just telling us what everyone else tells us, it'll get better, you know, one day you're going to get through it, you know. And so we were chatting for five minutes or so, and, and they came in after us, and all of a sudden their buzzer buzzes. We're like, whoa, how'd your buzzer buzz right away? Like, our buzzer's not supposed to buzz for another half hour. And they said, oh, well, we got reservations. I was like, oh. I didn't know you could get reservations at the Cheesecake Factory. Apparently you can. And so I'm like making a mental note. Okay, next time, get reservations, and we don't want to wait as long. And so they go in, 
and, and I'm just, you know, looking at Stephanie, thinking we should have done that. And about a minute later, 30 seconds later, they came back and they said, you know what? We want you to have our buzzer. And we were just struck, like, that's a very Christian thing to do. <laughs> and I almost didn't want to accept it, like, no, 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 no. But I said, as a Christian, we should receive God's grace for us, right? Um, and so they, we, we exchanged buzzers, and, and we got to go uh, in their place. And the thing that was beautiful about that was, yeah, saving the 30 minutes was nice. Honestly, we were, we were both tired, and we both wanted to get out of there sooner. Um, but it was the fact that they sacrificed that for us. Like, they, they didn't have to do that, but they wanted to do that. And we were, ch- we were touched by that small gesture of love that was clearly motivated by the love of Jesus. And, and that's what I'm talking about. That's what it looks like. If, that's a microcosm of what, what the sacrificial love of Jesus, that's what Jesus does. He comes to us, and we're like in the line to hell, right? He's like, I've got a different buzzer for you, and I'm going to give you that buzzer. I'm going to lay down my life so that you don't have to stand in that line anymore. You can stand in the line to eternity with me. That's the sacrificial love of Jesus. It's beautiful, and, and more than that, it's, it's joyful. We receive joy in receiving that love. They did it gladly. They weren't like begrudging like, oh, I think this is the right thing to do. They were like, we know that you're tired. We know that you're sleep deprived. This would bless you and it would bless us to give you this gift. And so there's this, this circular uh, ecosystem of love that happens because we are in Christ. This is what the world needs more of this kind of love. This is the picture of what we need. And yet, uh, and yet this is sometimes hard to do. Right? Some, sometimes I don't want to even hold the door open for the person next to me, let alone lay down my life for them. And so how do we do that? How do we get to this point where we uh, experience love in this way? Where we begin to live out this love in this way? And, and that brings me to uh, another important piece here, which is, Uh, God's provision uh, of prayer. God's provision of prayer. And I want to read verse 7 to you from chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Uh, done for you. Now, is this a blank check? Whatever you wish. Uh, I want a Ferrari. <laughs> I want superpowers, right? Is, is, this, is, this a, is this a blank check for whatever you want? And, and the answer is yes, with a condition. And here's the condition. The condition's actually built into what he says. Uh, verse uh, the condition is this. I'll just state it, and then I'll read the verses to support it. The condition is that uh, we can ask whatever we wish so long as it bears fruit that glorifies God. So long as it bears fruit that glorifies God. Verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that 
you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The the purpose of this prayer, the purpose of this promise is so that we would bear fruit that would glorify God. And so our asks, the things that we go to God wanting, like shouldn't be selfish, right? They should be for the purpose of bearing fruit. And remember, we looked at fruitfulness as really just tangibly expressing the sacrificial love that Jesus has loved us with. And so prayers that are aligned with loving others in the way that Jesus loved us are fruitful prayers and they glorify God. This is the promise. That's what God is promising, that he is going to give you everything you need, everything we need to love like Jesus loved. Does that make sense? That's the context of it. This is not some people, some uh, even so-called pastors have misappropriated this verse to say, I can ask, it's health and wealth, right? Whatever I want, all the material goods, like God is promising that, and he's not talking about that at all. He's talking about the fruit of love. We can ask God whatever we wish, and he will do that for us, so long as, that, as it is connected to bearing fruit that will glorify the Father it's this provision of prayer that we have as we remain in his word, as we stay connected to Christ. We also have the ability to engage and interact with God, to pray to him, to ask and expect that we will receive help in the time of need. You know, and as, as we, and I, I knew this was going to happen, but all my illustrations are going to being a new father because that is all my mind has been like focused on for the last uh, four weeks. And the hardest part has, has definitely been sleep deprivation. I never knew how much. Stephanie probably, no, she knew. She knew she loved sleep. I never knew exactly how much I love sleep until it starts to be taken away from you. And there have been a few times where uh, it's like this, you know, a roller coaster of highs. You have the baby, and, and you see this miracle before your eyes. Like, to see it happen was an incredible experience that it's, uh, it's unlike any experience I've ever had before. And yet, three days later, we're like, can we really do this? And, and, and me being the problem solver that I am was quick to Google. Google has the answers. And it's interesting, you get so many different, so many different perspectives on like the same problem. Like, uh, do you breastfeed? Do you not breastfeed? Do you, uh, do you schedule? Do you not schedule? Right? Do you respond to your cries? Do you not respond to the cries? And we heard even from the same hospital conflicting information. And so it's so easy to go into the world of Google and just get stuck in the virtual mud of all these conflicting opinions and just to be buried in about what do you do about it? And honestly, what I realized I didn't plan for in the midst of becoming a father is I didn't plan for devotions. 
And so for a couple of weeks, I was just here, there, and everywhere, and not in the Word, and not in prayer, and just trying to be as good a father as I could be based on Google's advice, and I, and I recognized that I was falling short. And at one point, I stopped and said, you know what? I can pray. <laughs> you know what? God knows more about Chloe than all of Google's information combined. He designed her. He created her. He knows exactly, perfectly how she worked. And one time with Stephanie, we were sort of at our wit's end, and I was praying, God, help us to get some sleep. Help, help Chloe to be happy so that she can sleep, so that we can sleep, so that we can be happy. That was our prayer. And one night... Chloe slept six hours through the night. Now, according to some people, that's wrong, but we, that was right for us. <laughs> now, she doesn't sleep six hours every night. In fact, we've had a, a couple of more rough nights recently, and we continue to pray, and we continue to ask God for strength. And sometimes I think God keeps Chloe up just so that we continue to pray and ask God for strength. Because that's the pattern of what God is doing. He, does, he doesn't want us just to pray and forget about him. Just to read once and forget about him. He wants us to depend on him every single day. And, and so I would encourage us to see life's trials, to see life's hard things, as, as, not, as a, not as a reason to neglect God, but a reason to press into him all the more. Because he will meet us in our time of need. And he will meet us, and then things will happen, and then he will meet us, and then things will happen, and he will meet us because he's proving his faithfulness through and through. And one day, all these frustrations, all these pain, all the, the remnants of sin will one day be finally and forever done away with. And we know that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead in victory, and he sits at the right hand of God. And what he promised to do, he will do it ultimately, finally, forever. We are his. We are, if we are in Christ, we are his and we have everlasting life. We will produce the fruit that Jesus wants to produce in us. And sometimes he prunes us to produce more fruit. And it hurts, but he wants us to be more fruitful. And so I want to encourage us this morning. Um, you know, I, I confess that for two weeks I was running not even in my word. And I was like, oh, wow. How did I get here? How did I get here? And I was feeling the effects of this withering. And if we have time to eat, we have time to be in his word. And I don't mean to sound this, uh, to, to come across legalistic. This is something we get to do. This is something that's for our good. Like God wants to bring a smile to our face. He wants to bring joy into our lives. And he's saying that the doorway through that is him and in his word. And so I want to invite us to joy. I want to invite us to fullness. I want to invite us to nourishment in his word. Uh, and, and for some of you, if, if you've been in a pattern of just 
once a week, coming to church, receiving the word, and that's it. And I don't want to shame you, but I want to encourage you that there's more. There's more to life. Like, start small. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I felt like, oh, well, I've got to get into my word. This is years back. <coughs> well, that means, therefore, I have to read like 10 chapters a day or something. And then I only read eight, and I feel like a failure because I didn't, like I'm setting up these false sort of standards of what it means. I would just start with, a small section of scripture. Read it. How about this? I'll even suggest Psalms. Like you could read one Psalm a day. That's fairly doable. They're pretty short. You can think about it. They're people wrestling with real issues like you and I wrestle with. Read one Psalm. Think about it. Ask God, what are you saying to me through this? How can you help me be more like you through this? That's it. You could do that. That's something that's very achievable. That's a low bar. And see if that will not enrich our spiritual lives. I think it will. His word says it will. And then pray. He listens. He hears. He wants us to grow. He will help us in that journey. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the nourishment of your word. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that you sent to ensure that we would have your words, that you have brought to remembrance everything that you've taught us. Lord, you don't leave us in the dark as to who you are and what you're doing, but you've called us friends. I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see you as a friend as someone who's for our joy, as someone who's for our good, as someone who cares about the struggles that we're in, who's with us in the pain, who's with us in the confusion, who's with us in the stress and anxiety of things, that that you are good and that you will carry us through. You will meet us where we're at and you will give us eyes to see how good you are and how good your love is for us. We thank you for how much you love us. And Lord, would you just give us strength to be able to walk in obedience. Give us strength to be able to rest in you, to abide in you, to treasure your word. We just thank you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. At this time.